Welcome to the Think Podcast. It is Worldview Wednesday. My name is Joel. And I'm Pastor Ray. And we're going to talk about something that is all too relevant in all of our lives today. We are talking about cancel culture. What is cancel culture? Cancel culture refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support for canceling public figures and companies after they've done something or said something that's considered objectionable or offensive. Cancel culture is generally discussed. Can you hear my my daughter coming into the room right now? This is, wait a minute, you're muted. You're muted. There we go. muted? Okay. Uh, I said it's adorable. It's, she, she is. After they've done something, considered objectionable or offensive. Cancel culture is generally discussed as being performed on social media in the form of group shaming. How do we as Christians navigate this age of cancel culture? How do we know when to be quiet, when to speak out, and when to engage in a Christ-like way? By the way, that definition was from dictionary.com. If you don't like that definition, take it up with them. Uh, Don't cancel me though. Nowadays, using your social media accounts to say something that others don't like can get you canceled. Your accounts can get suspended. You can get shut down. You can lose endorsements, even even employment. Or in extreme cases, you can receive death threats and an angry mob outside of your place of residence. Now, this doesn't happen to a majority of users, but the fact that it happens at all can have a chilling effect on public discourse. So now, what does that mean? Speaking out has become more dangerous than ever. So Christians, how do we handle this? We're called to seek to live quiet and peaceable lives. Does that mean we just shut up, never speak out? Pastor Rafe and I are going to get to the bottom of this. Rafe, it's my longest intro ever. Help me out. I'm going to drink some coffee. Talk to us about cancel culture and uh, what do we need to be thinking about here? Well, I think that was a great definition. By the way, how does my mic sound? Decent? It sounds okay. You sound like a little bit like you're in a tin can. A little yeah. bit. Where well, you? You, know what I, you know what I learned? I learned don't shove all your audio video equipment in your backpack because you break your camera and your uh, microphone on the same day. It's wonderful. So if I'm a little tinny, it's not because uh, it's, it's just because I'm foolish. That's why. Dude, you know um, I brought my equipment with me on the road. So you know, last yeah. time we recorded, I was on the road. And I can't, I can't find some of my equipment. So my camera's not even right right now. It's a mess. So I, I hear, I'm, this is going to be a subpar episode, but the content is good. The content is good. Well, you know, I, when I'm thinking about uh, cancel culture, my mind goes to uh, goes to a few places. And I, you know, I, I made a joke this morning with a buddy of mine. Uh, we were just talking about cancel culture in general, and I said, you know, at least. At least we're in a culture today that when you get canceled, you don't get put on a stake or burned alive because they could disagree with you. And so I do, I think in some sense, when we talk about cancel culture, this is not a totally recent phenomenon. I think in some ways it's a recent phenomenon because we have enjoyed the benefit of freedom of speech to a large degree for so long as a culture. Um, and that really is something that is um, newish in the world. All right. That, that's not something that you could always do. You couldn't always say whatever you wanted to, whenever you wanted to. You couldn't disagree with the king. You couldn't for centuries. These are things you couldn't do. Um, and when you did try to disagree with someone or have your own opinion, uh, you know, when you got canceled, you got killed. <laughs> and so 
I'm grateful. I'm grateful that's not the case, that we're not re- resorting back to then. We are still in uh, some sense of normalcy in the world, and there's still uh, um, an ability to have some kind of discourse here. However, we're watching, uh, we're watching a very real thing take place in our culture, and I think Christians need to be equipped for this. I feel like, Joel, you and I, um, I think even with something like this show, where we're regularly talking about kind of cultural issues, I think that there's a fear, and even just in our ministries, your ministry as a whole, doing apologetics work, my ministry as a pastor equipping Christians to live biblical lives, we're regularly on that edge of what people see as acceptable, what outside of the church, what people largely outside of the church, though sometimes it's within the church as well. well. Yeah, right. I was going to say, sometimes it is within the church, but yeah, you're right. It is. But that's par for the course, right? I think that's the role of being a pastor, being a leader within the church is you're going to say uncomfortable things and you stand on the word of God. You say it as it is. You say it as clearly as you can, as compassionately as you can. And uh, you leave the rest to God. He's the one who changes hearts. He's the one who does stuff and, and makes the spirit move as it's going to move. Um, but I will say I have experienced in my own heart, uh, an increasing pressure to not say things as clearly as I would have, or I desire to. And the reason I feel that pressure, sometimes it's probably brought on my, on myself is I want to be gentle with people. But the other reason I feel it is because, um, we have become such a divided culture on pretty much every topic. I mean, you just go through it. It's just kind of tearing at the seams. We all take sides. And as those seams get torn apart, what happens is uh, if, if you are firmly taking one of these sides, you open yourself up to complete abuse by the other side. And no one likes doing that. We're human beings. You know, at the end of the day, you take the strongest person out there. No one likes being beat up on by everybody. And so there's a there's a challenge. And we as Christians have to figure out how to have a strong voice, how to live pastorally, winsomely but also clear in fighting for the kingdom of God. Well, yeah. And the fact that nobody wants to be beat up on is why cancel culture is so popular. Well, let's start here. Is cancel culture even a thing? Because what I'm hearing a lot of in the last few days, last couple of weeks is it's something akin to this. Tell me if you've heard something like this. Cancel culture is not even a thing. And if you dare call it a thing, we're going to cancel you. Am I way off on that, Rafe? <laughs> well, you're revealing the classic, uh, the classic problem of inconsistency within the secular worldview. Every every view is acceptable so long as it's within their acceptable <laughs> range of views. That's, you can say whatever you want to say so long as it's not what they don't want you to say, and that's the hypocrisy and the inconsistency of the of the modern secular worldview. And it, it it's pretty much on every morning newspaper you could ever read. Yeah, it's it's a little bit like. Um, the, I, I've heard this. I've heard this quote. It says, uh, what, "What does it say? Uh, you, you Christians, it's like you Christians think you're going to be persecuted. Well, what did you say? You Christians are idiots for thinking you're going to be persecuted. And when it does happen to you, you're going to deserve it, or something like that. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, uh, okay. all right. So, so, yeah. Rafe, um." With how divided things are getting, sh- let's start here, man. Uh, what does that division look like? Should we even be out there? I mean, you know, you've heard the expression, pick your battles. Should, should Christians even be the kind of people who have online debates? 
we could say debates in general, but we're talking specifically about social media. So with regard to Facebook comment sections, um, putting out YouTube videos like these ones or, or Facebook videos like these ones, tweeting, you know, um, getting involved in internet uh, forums and, and on Reddit and stuff like that. Are these even the kinds of things Christians should be engaging in? Like, what are your thoughts on that as a pastor? Well, I think of a number of things. I preached a sermon this last Sunday, which I think maybe we can allow to serve as a bit of a um, foundation for us in this conversation. I preached a message on Sunday on Jesus's Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew chapter five. You know, he gives the Beatitudes and then he says, I've come to fulfill the law. And then he goes into these six examples of what it means to live out the fullness of the law. And two of the examples are what I call two separate doctrines of the Christian faith. One is Christian non-retaliation. Um, and then the second one is enemy love, loving your enemies. And the examples he gives under Christian non-retaliation are really uncomfortable. You know, he, he gives these three examples where he says, look, if someone slaps you on the cheek, on the one cheek, turn to him the other. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's a really important verse. And we are terrible. I'm terrible at putting this into practice. And I think when we understand this, it can unlock potentially helpful components for figuring out how we engage in social media. Because <laughs> I think it's saying some things and it's not saying some things. When Jesus says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to him than the other, what's a slap on the cheek? Well, it's not a punch in the gut. He's not talking about someone who comes up to beat you up. Um, he, he's talking about a slap on the cheek in that day would have been a public way of trying to disgrace you and show that you are the weaker person. So it's a way to try to gain one-upsmanship over somebody else by trying to prove that you, the individual, are the stronger man. So if, you know, if I wasn't a Christian and someone came up and slapped me on the cheek, and, and frankly, I can go back to old days before I was a Christian or when I was a brand new Christian. Um, I can think of very ex specific examples where when someone did something like that to me, I did it right back. And in fact, I pushed harder, right? Like, <laughs> you're not stronger than me. I'm stronger than you. And that's that's typically the way the world operates. If it's not a physical slap, there's many ways in our modern day you can slap somebody and try to say, I'm better than you. Look at me. I won. You're not as good as me. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Undermine the situation. Turn the other cheek. It would be better to let them think they're the stronger person than for you to just go at it and try to prove your own strength. And the reason is it's because the Christian's not trying to prove their own strength. The Christian is never interested in showing that they're a better person, in showing that they have value that the other person doesn't. The Christian is never trying to prop themselves up. They're always trying to point to Jesus. And right there, I think, is a key underlying principle for us as Christians. When we engage in important conversation, in debate, in political conversation, in cultural conversation, in family conversation, you name it, and there's disagreement, who are you trying to defend? That's that. This is the heart here. Are you trying to defend yourself and show that you're the better, the smarter, the more well-read, the one who can come back to every argument, or are you engaging in a godly way to showcase the glory of Jesus Christ? 
those two things are very different. You can actually say the same words and stand on two different foundations, and one of them can be wrong and one of them can be right. So you're talking about the heart. It, it, it is a matter of the heart. And as I was thinking about you know, this topic, I was thinking about three, there's really three different components at play. There, there's the one is, I think what you just mentioned, our, our own heart in this, you know, we don't have anything to prove. This isn't about us. So there's the heart. There's our engagement with, let's call them our discussion partner. You know, sometimes that's even being a little generous. It's not much of a discussion. <laughs> and then there is the foundation that we are standing on. And what I want to make a distinction of here is we can be very humble about ourselves and yet be very bold and very, very assured in our foundation. You know, for example, I know I'm not the best debater in the world. I know I'm not, I don't have the greatest arguments. I know I'm not the world's greatest scholar. I'm not even a, you know, a scholar. I'm, uh, you, you know, uh, you, not, me. you told me you were all those things. Oh, uh, well, I suckered you in, man. Um, I'm a good, but I'm a good, I'm a good suck. I'm a good convincer. No, um, no, this is the thing. Like I can be very humble about myself and yet I can still debate with atheists as I've had a few debates now. Why? Because not, it's not because of me, because I have to prove myself, but it's because I'm that confident in my foundation, my foundation of God's word. And, and so as I'm thinking, let's talk about that on our standing on our foundation, Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Standing firm can be done at the same time that we're turning the other cheek. As a matter of fact, turning the other cheek is an action of standing firm. Uh, it's, it's the person who's, 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 a, who's, uh, the, the person who is, who has no strong foundation and it's all method, no principle. That's the person who's got to slap back. The person who's, who can stand strongly on his principles doesn't need to, 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 to slap back. It's like, you know, bam, I get slapped on the one cheek and I can just turn and go, you know, right. like, like I'm not even phased by that. I'm a hundred percent based by what you just did because my, because I'm based on the, the Lord Jesus Christ and on his word. So yeah. you didn't, you didn't upset me. You didn't knock me off my foundation in any way. Um, First Corinthians 16, 13 says, be watchful. So we're, we're, we're looking for threats, stand firm in the faith, act like men. It's a good verse. You, you know, a thing or two about that verse. Lately. I might know a thing or two about that verse. I just, I'm, I'm in week eight of our men's ministry right now. Yeah, bro. It's a controversial verse. Why, like why is men. that? Why is that contra quick sidebar? Why is that? Oh, well, the word self act like men. It's uh it's a it's a phrase where there's a lot of there's kind of two sides on what it means. Is he is he speaking to men, saying you here's a stereotype of what manliness looks like. You know it already because everyone knows the qualities that are important for a man. Uh, so be like that. Um, or is it a is it a call to the whole church, men and women, to exemplify um, historic masculine qualities? It's it, it's a really fascinating verse. Um, either way, no matter which position you take on that, sorry, sidebar here, no matter what position you take on it, um, he is appealing to historic, stereotypical masculine qualities. And it's coming right in a passage of stand firm, be strong, uh, be of courage. Uh, it's these kind of uh, have a bold conviction, have a stance, 
Dude. Carry yourself as a man, enter, yeah. engage in a godly, biblical, manly way. Uh, and he's applying it towards the church and telling so, him. So I, I love that verse. So when people when people get outraged at that, Rafe, we can call their bluff. And I'm going to tell you why. This, this, this goes right into cancel culture. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. When you say, act like a man, everyone knows what you mean. And here's how I know that, Rafe. With all the confusion that's out there right now. Right now, on Twitter, as I live and breathe, right now, there is a trending hashtag. And I don't even necessarily want to say it. But it's it's talking about Tammy Duckworth, who's an Illinois politician. And it's it's in reference to President Trump. And it's saying, the hashtag is, she has more than you. And it's talking about the male anatomy and it's it's saying this woman now listen Rafe this is not a hashtag I don't think that was started by Christians it was started by the world and the world knows exactly what it means the it's it's saying that she's got boldness it's saying that she's got intestinal fortitude she's got guts she's got strength now look do women have those things of course as as a matter of fact they're saying Tammy Duckworth has those things right. but but when you want to describe those things you say <laughs> you you make a reference to male anatomy why? Same reason Paul did here, because there are certain timeless attributes about manliness. Now, here's here's the thing about cancel culture. What we just said, what we just unpacked there a little bit, that flies in the face of cancel culture. Right. Because cancel culture does not listen to arguments. It's quarrelsome. It, well, and you're, you're, you're hitting on something really important right there. Go ahead. If, if, if we take everything personally... If every uh, conversation on logic and someone challenging our own logic is taken as a personal attack on us, which is what's happening right now, then we're, there is no conversation to be had. The, the art of having a conversation with somebody that's meaningful and learning is that you, you, you begin with a posture of saying, I need to fully understand what this person is saying. Right. Right. So I was telling you earlier, there's a great book um, guy, by a guy named Mortimer Adler. He wrote this book called How to Read a Book. And the point of How to Read a Book, it's one of the most important books every Christian should read. At some point in their life, you got the Bible. That's your number one book. And then after that, all right, this is up there in that list. I think Adler became a Christian at some point too, didn't he? I don't know. Uh, I believe so. He has a whole chapter on reading the Bible in there. Okay. Okay. So, um, so what Morton Adler argues, he says, look, what the problem, the way we read books right now, is that we scan them, assume we know pretty much what he's saying, and then just we bring our quick, pithy opinion to, to bear on the conversation. He goes, that's fundamentally false. You have to get into the mind of the writer. You have to look at their argumentation. And you have to make a fair, critical evaluation. Did they defend their position? Did they actually have logic? Were they missing pieces of logic that should have been part of their conversation? What was the terminology? Did they define their terminology and were they clear or did they make a, an argument of arbitrariness? Now, why is that important? When we engage, Joel, when you do debates, when I engage in conversations with nonbelievers and I do evangelism work, what we're doing is we're, we're having a, a conversation and a lot of the time it's on logic. Certainly, I mean, faith and all of that, that's all part of logic. But a lot of times we're debating actual logical conversations mm -hmm. and we're engaging. 
And what I want to try to do is I want to hear them all the way through. Show me your side. I, I want to understand your side. And then I want to kind of break it apart and say, okay, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? It seems like you haven't fully thought through this, have you? And what happens is we can have a meaningful conversation. If every time I, I try to show that person that there's a flaw in their argumentation and they haven't thought through all the, the variables yet fully, they take it as a personal attack on their character, which happens. The conversation's over. It's completely over. They've canceled yeah. me out at that point. Yeah. And the, the, the devastating part of that is we both could have learned so much from each other. There's so much goodness to have in learning from another person, but you have to be able to separate the personal attack from a conversation of logical debate with a person and hearing their argument and considering whether or not it's full. And so I think cancel culture, the problem is one of them is that we wrap up a personal emotional attack when we don't like when someone disagrees with us for something and we kind of act like babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I don't like you, so I'm going to cry. Yeah, so, that's well, right. Wait yeah. a second. Act like a man. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not and, a personal attack on you. I'm debating your, your logic here. And it, it, it uh, you know, people get into ad hominem attacks, meaning uh, attacks on the man rather than the argument. Uh, just just yesterday, um, I, got, I found myself in a similar situation where I had asked a question on a thread, and um, I was I was it was, the, the the thread was from an atheist friend of mine, and so it was about a particular practice and thinking pattern that we would recognize as sin as Christians. And, you know, I kind of did my standard question as a presuppositionalist, you know, by what standard do you condemn this as wrong rather than just your own opinions? Because, hey, that's how you foster dialogue, right? Like, we all agree this is wrong. Let's talk about why. And and this atheist friend and I had had plenty of conversations about that. And one of his friends, I'm not going to name who, jumps in, swings in like the white knight and starts just blasting me. You know, Joel's not speaking in good faith here. He's trying to use his presuppositionless bag of tricks uh, or, or toolkit or playbook, whatever. And, uh, and you know, uh, he's, he's, he's saying all this stuff. And you know what? Here's the thing. I look back at some of his critiques and, and there was now there, there was an actual argument in there, but it was buried under the mountain of insults. I'm not, I'm not kidding. It was a lot of, a lot of vitriol. But some of his critiques, although they were, I think, more so there to kind of cover up his sort of paltry argument, if I dare say so, uh, some of his critiques, I was like, hey, you know what? This is kind of a good point. Like, I, I can actually change how I approach it or I didn't explain that well enough or uh, maybe I was misinterpreting him here. So I'm thinking about this and it actually changed the way I engaged. Now, why do I mention this? Oh, because I'm this paragon of of internet argu argumentation? No, not at all. Um Quite honestly, I believe the Lord's been doing work on me over the last several years. One of the areas he's been working on me is in meekness. And meekness is one of those underrated, often misunderstood uh, fruits of the spirit, you know, Christian virtues. And I got to tell you, because I'm naturally a very uh, combative person, the Lord has had to bring me through the meekness wood chipper a few times to like put my ego through there and really let me make a fool out of myself and 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 really you know humble me uh, so now it's like okay all right, hey listen yeah fine let's actually engage but Rafe what I'm trying to get to and I'm nowhere near there uh yet I haven't arrived not not at all but in conversations like that where I'm trying to get to is I'm trying to get to a biblical 
mode of engaging, which is sort of the second component of, of arguing online. So for example, 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 24 says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. And then, uh, and it goes on to give more stipulations there. But if you're going to be a man of God, arguing online or a, or a woman of God, we need to incorporate meekness into our conversation. Mm-hmm. We need to know when to not engage from foolish, ignorant controversies. Like when an atheist tells me I worship the invisible sky daddy or something like that. I mean, that's pretty much my friend Lucas Giolis, who's been on this show. He says, he says something like, the, there's a direct ratio between the quickness with which an atheist uses the term sky daddy and the lack of seriousness I attribute to that person. It's like once someone starts throwing out that stuff, it's like I'm not even going to engage. Right. Why? When the conversation devolves into throwing little insults at each other, Who cares? You, uh, you, you've yeah. lost the ability to have a meaningful conversation. It's a foolish and, thing. And Christians, honestly, I think Christians need to be known for their love. And I, I think in social media, it's um, it's a very difficult place to do this well, because the idea of social media is that you're not making fully written out arguments. You, you, you can't, there's no way, you're not writing a thesis. No one's gonna read a thesis on Facebook. When, it, when, the, when the post is too long, you don't read it, <laughs> right? Right, right? And so you've gotta, you've gotta condense your thought and, in, and invite conversation. I think when, when Christians though, we must make sure that when we are engaging in conversation on social media and you're kind of going back and forth with somebody and let's just say you're trying to defend something good, you've got to make sure that your responses never all of a sudden actually slip into the insult zone. That's, yes. That is not helpful. So we can expect that from people who are not Christians. Why? Because, well, they don't have the commands we have to be gentle. They don't have the command to think of others as better than themselves. They don't have, those aren't, uh, foundations that they're building their life and their rhetoric upon. We do have that though. We're trying to be like Christ and Christ entered into meaningful conversations with Pharisees and he exposed the, the, the faulty premises they were on all the time, right? That even, even in the Sermon on the Mount, the same passage I quoted earlier, all those sections begin, you have heard that it was said, right? This, so this is what your leaders are telling you, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. <laughs> Let me... Let me, let me actually tell you the fullness of what that originally said so that we all are working off the same page. Let's get this right. Um, and then he goes back and he, he fixes the foundational error they had. So it's not don't, don't engage. Jesus engaged. He did so firmly. But it never devolved into these kind of tit-for-tat little, little kind of jabs at each other. And the Christian's got to stay out of that and rise above it. We can engage logically and lovingly and watch our tone so that there's a sense of gentleness. There's a sense of um, care and concern for the other person um, while at the same time being clear. And, and one other thought yeah. uh, before I let you respond to that. You know, I, I was watching um, Ravi Zacharias died recently. And for those of you that are watching that know Ravi, um, Ravi was the master at caring for people. I mean, the guy when he spoke, he was a master apologist. I mean, he, he could defend the Christian faith in pretty much any culture around the globe. He was a missionary, this guy. He was amazing. But one of the things that pretty much everybody who ever responded to Ravi would walk away with, they would say, 
more than likely that guy beat me <laughs> in a debate. <laughs> like you don't beat Robbie. He, right. he won. But two, they would say he cared about me. And I saw after Robbie died, I saw that time and time and time again. I, time and time again, I saw people say that about Robbie. Like he really cared for the people he was debating with. He didn't just want to win the argument. He wanted them to love Jesus. And so his whole framing of how he was debating and arguing always brought it to the gospel and said, you need this love. And that I want that to be my ministry so bad. I want every person I ever debate with and argue with to say, he beat me logically. <laughs> but more importantly, he loved me and wanted me to know about Jesus with a passion. And that is a hard line to draw on social media. It it's is. one that Robbie got correct. Yeah. And it goes back to our episode we did a few weeks back about, do you have a passion for souls? We can't lose sight of the fact that at some point in the future, ourselves and our discussion partners are going to be heading into eternity. And we want them to be on the same side of the king in judgment as we are. Right. Because if they reject Christ, they're going to go on the other side. When when the Messiah sorts the sheep from the goats, his people from those who are not his people. Right. And far be it from us to put any stumbling blocks in their way. Now, the gospel itself is a stumbling block. It's an offensive message. And this is why we as Christians are concerned about cancel culture, because the gospel is foolishness to the world, to those that are perishing. It's the stench of death. It 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 sounds and smells and feels like a message of death, because that is exactly what is required. If you're going to repent, you're going to come to Jesus in faith. The old you has got to die. Now, we can, as Christians, knowing that, there's a metaphor I love about the Christian life and Christian interaction. And it goes like this. You can't offend a corpse. You cannot offend a corpse. So if you and I have died to our old ways and our pride is being crucified and has been crucified and our self-centeredness and our need to one-up somebody else, if that's all been crucified with Christ, then to the world, we're a corpse and they can't offend us. Now, you want to talk about being based I've heard it said you can't kill a dead guy. I like your version better, I think. Oh, that's good. I like that. I like that. Well, now there's, now a, there's, do? there's a flip side to it as well. There's a flip side to it. According to the Bible, Satan has blinded or, well, let's say this because there's some debate over who the passage is talking about it as to who's blinded, who has blinded the people of this world. And I'm talking about the people who are not Christians. Is it God? Is it Satan? Either way, they're blind. Now, how offended would you be if a blind person stepped on your toes? I mean, like, what are you going to say? Watch where you're going? I mean, what are you going to say? You you don't get offended by that. You understand. You say, no problem, sir. No problem, man. Here, let me help you. Let me, let me guide you. I can see. Right. Let me, let me out of love. Let me, let me guide you here. Now, according to the Bible, our discussion partners who are not Christians are blind. And that's not an insult. We're not saying that they're stupid idiots or anything like that. A lot of them are smarter than we are, definitely smarter than me. That's not the point. The point is they're blind. They can't see Christ. And if all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ, then they can't see much of anything at all. And it's up to us to guide them with biblical truth. That's where it comes back to uh, our, our biblical foundation. We stand on our biblical foundation. We engage with them, not in a quarrelsome way, but in a loving way and in a biblical way. And this is now 
you take a passage that says like we demolish arguments and every lofty thing that that stands against Christ. You take a passage like that, which is an awesome, you know, uh, ideologically violent passage. I love that. Not physically violent. All right. <laughs> but, uh-huh. but ideologically violent. Yep. And you take a passage like that, but then you read it in the context of what it means to be a Christian and to stand with Christ. And you say, oh, 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 oh. It's not that I'm out there demolishing people. It's more like this person is trapped in a vehicle and they've been in a bad car accident and the doors are fused shut. The car is crumpled shut and they've got to get out. And I've got the jaws of life now. You know, the jaws of life. You know right. what I'm talking about? That, that big machine. Yep. You come yep. and it pulls the car open. And what are you doing? Well, you're demolishing the car to free the person. Right. Because you care about the person. You're not sending the car down to the pound to get flattened and turned into a cube with them still in it. That would be the worst thing. You want to free the person. And so the only way we can do that is to find out where they're at, ask those questions, treat them with dignity and love and and a, a biblical sense of of charity and meekness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I, I don't know what you, you know, what are your thoughts are on that? If you like that analogy or not. Oh, no, I think you, it, it complimented what I was saying before. Well, and, and here's the thing. The conversation is how do we do this on social media? And, and I'm going to say it again. It's an incredibly difficult place to do it. it the, the, the venue does not allow well for um, meaningful dialogue on this. However, you know, for a long time, I, I've, I've tried to, I don't want to say stay off of social media, but, but in a way, I think for a number of years, I really, I considered it very, very tertiary, not even secondary. I think I considered it a tertiary place. Right now, it is a place where meaningful conversation and dialogue are happening. It's a place where people are learning. It's a, it, it is a place where people are gathering, uh, not physically, obviously, but they're spending their time and engaging in conversation and where there is a plethora of teachers. There are teachers of every vain philosophy you could ever imagine who have dominated the social media space. And so here we have the world gathering to one place. When when people gathered throughout history uh, in places, what Christians always did was they inserted themselves there and engaged in gospel conversation, right? So when George Whitfield was going through his his preaching schedule in, in America, uh, what he did is, is whenever you find a crowd of people, he would just, you know, he'd say, oh, there's a rock. I could stand on that. He was a short guy. So he, I, I could stand yeah. on that. And he'd go, he'd stand on there and he'd call everyone. He'd start talking the gospel. You'd look for where people were gathered. When D.L. Moody was in Chicago in the early 1900s, he would be downtown. He'd see a crowd gathering for something. He looked across the aisle. He said, oh, look, there's an auditorium. We could rent that and share the gospel. He'd rent that. And Jesus, right? Jesus tended to meet people at gathering spaces. You know, when he's sitting on the boat on the Sea of Galilee, that, that, there was a gathering space where people had come to gather and listen, and he was there speaking. I think that there is something about recognizing that social media has become a place where people are gathering and having conversation. And because of that, I don't think it's helpful for Christians to run away from it. That would be kind of the equivalent of running away from a crowd downtown or running away from a crowd somewhere else where God might call you to be. It's there and it's not going anywhere. And it's where a conversation is taking place. And again, the main leaders of the conversations are not Christians. Right. It's teachers of vain philosophy. Yeah. And so what we need to do is go into them and we need to find a way to, to converse in a, in a way that's meaningful 
and to make our voices heard. Yeah. I think that's one of the things I, and I'm, frankly, I'm only learning this. I feel like in the last year, um, how to do this at, at least a little better than I've done it historically, but we want to be there and we don't just want to be like a little teeny fly on the wall. Like here's the big conversation. It's all going this way. And then it's like, beep, I'm over here. Rah, okay. And I'm, right. No, as much as we can, can we get in the center of that mm -hmm. thing and, and, and discuss? Cause at the end of the day, Jesus is way more logical than any other worldview. The other worldviews are going to fall apart, but give us a chance to hear it in there. And the more every Christian is kind of working their way into this web of social media and speaking the same loving gospel with clarity, uh, slowly uh, you can kind of turn the tide of a conversation. And so how do you do it on social media? I think the first place is for those of you that are afraid to step into social media, I get it. Uh, that is scary because cancel culture is real. Begin by inserting yourself. I think that's a good, helpful starting place. Insert yourself and, and speak. Learn to find a voice publicly that loves Jesus as much as you do privately. That's one of the, the most, if I could encourage my own church, if they're listen, listening to this, what I would say is learn to love Jesus as much publicly as you do privately. Um, and, and when you begin to do that, how you do that in social media will very naturally flow out of that life. Yeah, and you can do that without virtue signaling too, by the way. Right. Nobody, nobody cares about how virtuous you are. That's a very different thing than publicly speaking about Christ. Uh, there's, there's a vast difference between the Pharisees who walked around giving to the poor and sounding the trumpet with their, their robes on and being greeted in the marketplace and every street corner. There's a difference between that and the apostle Paul, the former Pharisee, openly speaking about Christ in the synagogues, because for Paul, the attention was all on Jesus. For the Pharisees, it was all about themselves. We are not here to promote our own virtue. We don't have any. The only virtue we have is imputed to us through Christ, and it's been given to us by God. And you know, dude, something occurred to me while you were talking, and that's this. So social media is the place, I like how you said that, where the conversations are happening nowadays. And I'm thinking back through history. This is my my bachelor in history coming out here a little bit. Uh, uh, where did they used to have conversations in the old days? Okay. They had them at the city gates. And I'll, you go back to like, like ancient, ancient times. They were at the city gates. But eventually those conversations moved to the center of the city, to the, the hill or the square in the middle of the city, the agora, the marketplace. But think about ancient Athens. The Apostle Paul is going from synagogue to synagogue and speaking in the marketplace and the pagan philosophers bring him to the Areopagus, Mars Hill, and there they give him the platform and they ask him to speak. Well, guess what, dude? That, that space was controlled by pagans, by non-believers. Now, think about Social media. We talk about cancel culture. We talk about getting your account suspended. We talk about getting your account uh, uh, deleted. Who controls Facebook, Twitter? It, it, it ain't Christians, man. And I don't know much about Parler. I think Dan Bongino has got something to do with Parler. Okay. But like for, for the most part, people aren't really uh, – But you don't hear both sides on Parler. If you want both sides, you got to go to Facebook or Twitter or some of these other – platforms, but they are controlled by non-Christians, by the non-Christian thought leaders and, and thought arbiters 
of our day, the gatekeepers of our day. There's a good, remember the discussion used to take place at the old city gates? We have gatekeepers today. So, so we are in the situation of Paul and these ancient Christians where we're kind of, we're almost at the mercy of the people who control the venue. And we're just trying to get the message out as much as we can until they cancel us, shut us down. God forbid they start arresting us, putting us in jail, all that. Look, Paul dealt with all that stuff too. It's not new. Like Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. So, but, but we're not, it's not an Areopagus. It is different. So we've, we've got to adapt our methods, you know, uh, but it's still, there's nothing totally unique about the situation we find ourselves in, which means we can go back to scripture, see how they did it then and, and gain wisdom from that. So I just, just, uh, just throwing that out there. Well, I knew you wouldn't be able to get through a podcast without mentioning Acts 17. I mean, it, right. It, <laughs> it's, uh, it's our favorite passage. No, it's good. And I, and I go back to, you know, I, I go back, I'm seeing some of these comments come in and, and, and my heart just hurts thinking about this, of how real the, the cancel culture is and how dangerous it can be. We're having a conversation. The reason we're having this conversation is because the stakes are raised. Um, we're in the middle right now. We're watching. Uh, I want to be careful in using the word revolution, but uh, a revolution of sorts. It's a revolutionary rhetoric, at least. Um, and what's taking place is it's it's kind of pick sides. And if you're not on the side that uh, the world wants you to be on and using the same language that the world wants you to use, uh, then you are um, you have permission to be hated, uh, basically. And obviously, that's not the Christian. The Christian doesn't hate anybody. The Christian loves people who even who disagree with them to uh, pray for our enemies Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies, and so the this is um, this is kind of par for the course for Christians. It, you know, I had someone ask me a while ago. Uh, they were saying, "Hey, I got someone in my office. My, my boss wants me to sign this document." I don't remember what the issue was. It was it was a controversial issue. It was either over uh, you know um, LGBT plus stuff. Or it was something else. And the, the, the boss wanted the employees to all sign this document of uh, affirming everything on the document. And largely everything on the document would have, was good. Like there was nothing for the most part, it looked good except for like two or three sentences with, with their biblical worldview and their Christian convictions. They said, you know, like I, I can't sign this. And they were asking, what do I do? Um, because if I don't, that they're basically putting everyone's name up on a wall of who signed it and who hasn't. Right. Unreal. It's unreal. But this is the reality. And, and wow. what I said, I was, I was talking to a group about this, about how, how do we navigate these moments? They said, do I just sign it for the sake of, you know, get through the moment and don't lose face. And I said, I said, you can't sign something that you don't believe in. And I want you to know that around the world for the last 2000 years, Christians have had to make these decisions and much, much worse. Our Christian brothers and sisters are not dealing with cancel culture by having people defriend them on Facebook. Our Christian brothers and sisters are dealing with cancel culture by being truly, truly persecuted. They lose their jobs. They lose their families. They lose because they say, no, no, I don't agree with that. I choose to love Jesus. I choose to worship Christ and I'm going to do it this way. Um, and so what I oftentimes say when people are getting in these really hard spots where they're like, man, how do I do this? This just seems hard is I say, scriptures tell us to rejoice in these situations. When Rejoice when you get the, the joy of being persecuted the way Christ was, right? Like 
these are moments to actually say, wait a second, I'm, it, this could be a sign that you're doing something right. It could be a sign you're doing something terribly wrong at the same time. If you're being a jerk and, right. and then you're getting persecuted for being a jerk, there you go. I mean, right. you know, Proverbs has a lot to say about that as well. Mm-hmm. But if you're getting persecuted because you're standing on the word of God and you're filled by the spirit and you've done all you can to love people and you're being clear and you're getting persecution like that, there's something inside the Christian that while lamenting how hard it is, rejoices in Christ and rejoices in the reality that they're getting to participate in the suffering of the saints. And I do believe uh, before it gets better, it's going to get a lot worse. I think um, guys like us, I think any Christian that's going to be clear and try to speak up, uh, there will be a whole lot more whatever happens with cancel culture, however far that expands. Um, I think it'll get harder before it gets better, but we can rejoice and we should and train ourselves to rejoice. Yeah. I got to tell you, man, I stopped making predictions like that because I just don't know. I just don't know. I'll tell you, in 2016, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series and Donald Trump got elected as president. (laughs) That's like, ever since 2016, I feel like all bets are off, man. Back to the Future called it. I mean, they knew it. They they knew it a long time ago. Because he's Biff Tannen? Well, the Cubs won the series and Biff became the, the president. That's right. That's right. I think they were a year off. That's right. Well, so let's take a couple of comments here. Uh, not too many questions today, but a lot of a lot of helpful uh, comments. And you know, we've got if if there was some kind of like a a participation badge or something, uh, Donna Flentge would win because she's got. I think she's winning for most comments right now. Here's what she says. Well, I deleted my friends list in January. And only use social media now for groups and pages. I feel it's been unfruitful to interact over social media in general. I'm trying to focus on real life interactions more. IDK. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, Rafe, I don't know if you, if you've done this, but I'll, Can I just I'll pause to say, I finally know what IDK means. I thought it was an L. I didn't really. <laughs> You didn't know what IDK meant? Now I know. Now I know. Didn't you grow up in the 2000s, man? Social. Oh, uh, uh, did, did you use AOL Instant Messenger? Of course. IDK, LOL, BRB. I didn't know IDK. I, that was the one I didn't know, I guess. They didn't have that out in Hinsdale. There you go. We were terrible. All right, go ahead. Sorry. Um, Answer. Let me tell you. I... Now, you want to talk about cancel culture. I don't. I don't try to ruin people's lives. I have, I have had people do something similar to me, but I don't do that to others. Why? Not because I'm so virtuous. I just don't think it's biblical. I don't think it's right, but I have had people try to try to cancel me. That being said, I will unfollow people and I will block them on social media. Why? Because Jesus says, do not throw your pearls before swine. The Bible also says, um, the Bible also says a wise man sees trouble coming and prepares for it, but a fool keeps going and is punished. So if someone's coming at me, coming at me, coming at me, and it starts to get to the point where it's more than just talk, it's more than just um, uh, words, and they're actually trying to contact people who can, and they're actually trying to get into real life stuff, I'll just say that. I'm trying not to give too many details. Yeah. Uh, that's when it comes, that's when it's time to protect myself. Right, that's when family. it's time to protect my family. And so I have no, I don't think there's anything wrong with um, unfriending, defriending, 
that's different than deplatforming and canceling. That's right. just and and we got to be careful we don't create a an echo chamber for ourselves. But right. we've got to we've got to protect ourselves and we've got to protect our time too, man. Good grief! If I got pulled into every internet debate that somebody tried to pull me into, I that's all I that'd be a full time job for me, you know. Right. And um, one thing I got to give my uh, my atheist interlocutor the other from the other day that I just mentioned earlier, I got to give him credit. He he made his point and he bowed out of the conversation. He said, I don't need to score any more uh, internet or I don't need to score any internet debate points or something like that. Now, to me, it kind of felt like, well, yeah, that's because, you know, you can't defend what you're saying. But the fact of the matter is he moved on with his life. I don't know what he went and did. And that's just kind of the point. He He left. He moved on with his life. And as Christians, I think there's a lot of wisdom there. Jesus knew when to move on from one town to the next. We do not need to get embroiled in endless debates. That is when it turns into quarreling and giving to dogs what is holy, throwing our pearls before swine. And, and here's the thing. Those aren't like, we're not in, so we're not saying that people are, are beasts or animals or subhuman. What we're saying is in the same way that a pig who for the, uh, the Jewish people was an unclean animal in the same way that they wouldn't know what to do if you tossed them pearls, they trample it. They just don't know what to do with it. In the same way, there's such a thing as getting into an argument with a person who just doesn't want to understand, doesn't want to hear you, doesn't want mm-hmm. to hear your side, doesn't want to meaningfully engage, and, and and it's the same thing. So you just say, you know what? God bless you. Peace. Goodbye. Uh, and, and you move on. And I think that's yeah. fine. What do you think? Well, the only thing I'd add to that is uh, way to go on prioritizing real-life conversations. Yes. Uh, prioritize real-life people. Be in real relationships. Um, it, social media should not be your your sole platform to make your point heard. I don't. I think that ends up being more about you. It should be a meaningful place where you engage. But you got to. You got to. God's put you in real conversations and real people, and so yeah. do that. And there might be a time. It, social media is not the be all end all. I think the Lord can bring conviction. You know, the Holy Spirit's moving in anybody's life, saying, "Hey, look, you had these experiences. This is what's happening in your life right now. You need to disengage from social media." Listen to God. Do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. You know your shepherd's voice, and when he's telling you to do something, you should be obedient. Um, and so I, I think that there's a healthy there's a healthiness to being able to know when to let go, when to jump off, and all that, and always prioritize real-life conversations. That's, uh, that's far better. Amen, bro. And at the end of the day, social media, in-person conversations, look, the point of it all, if you're a Christian, is to get the good news about Jesus Christ out. The Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He lived the perfect life. He died for sinners like us, was buried, rose according to the scriptures. He is, he went, he appeared to many people, ascended back to heaven. He now reigns from heaven and he's coming again. And although the wages of our sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you trust in him, no one can cancel you. Whoever believes in him will never be canceled from, from God's kingdom, but will have eternal life. And uh, that's the that's the updated 2020 version. It's good. And, um, you know, listen, man, that's what it's all about. It's it's about the gospel. I know that's why you go out and uh, and preach in the loop. That's why we're going to hit up the abortion clinics together. Um, yeah, it's it's about the gospel. It's about saving souls. Yeah. No, it's a good word, and I I, I think the only thing I would add to that, Joel, that it's just helpful to remember. And you said this earlier. I think we both said at some point in this show today. Um, when you're in an authentic relationship with Christ, and when you when you're really 
waking up in the morning, you're in the word, you're spending time in prayer with him. He is leading you. you. You know you have the Holy Spirit within you that's leading you. You're learning how to listen to his voice. He will direct you where to engage and not to engage. He, he will be clear with that. He will open doors and close doors. He will make your computer break if he needs to do that, <laughs> right? This is the way he is. But the, the, the most important piece for every Christian watching your first move should not be, how do I do this better in social media? How, how do I do this better here? Strategizing. Your first move should be, I want to know and love Jesus better. I want to know his word. I want his word to dwell in my heart richly. Right. I want to know it so much that I, I see the world through it. And then as you begin to engage, those things, they all naturally flow out of you. I think something I've seen and uh, I can say I've seen it in my own heart at times as well. I think this is one of the things that happens in ministry, and this happens in every Christian in some in some degree. We always have to be on guard about it. Is sometimes you see people that are doing things, especially in the world of social media, you see how God's using them, and you say, "Man, I want to do it like that. I want I want to be able to talk to people that way. I want to be able to be quick witted on my my uh, my responses that way. Um, I want to be able to tweet." thoughts like such and such. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that they're such and such and you're you and God's made you, you and you is a really good thing. If you're a Christian, uh, the Lord has you and he's wired you. He's given you a personality. He's given you a mind. He's given you experiences. He's given you the fruit of the spirit. And what God wants to do with you is that you are in such intimate relationship with him that so much fruit comes out of your unique wiring. And then that's what we need in these places. We need the right. you in these unique places, not the you trying to be somebody else. That's and good. I see a lot of that. That's and good. I really, really hate it. And I want to just guard all of us against that. So I should stop pretending to be Rafe? I should stop trying to be Rafe? Well, unless it's me, then then, <laughs> then you keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, hey, you, listen, man, this is how much respect I have for you. So I think about this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just let, let me just tell you this. I've told other people this. This is totally, totally off topic, Rafe. I'm, I'm considering we said everything we needed to say about this topic. It's done. It's good. It's, it's cooked. It's done. Put it on the plate. Serve it for good. dinner. It's delicious. Here's what I'm gonna say. I'm out of ideas. I got nothing left. Here's what I'm. Yeah, amen. The Bible. Go read the Bible. That's what you guys should do. Here's, here's what, um, here's what I'm gonna say. All right. Tell me what you think about this idea, Rafe. Um, this is the opposite of cancel culture. Okay. You, if you go to Monticello in Thomas Thomas Jefferson's estate, you can go there. And before anybody tries to cancel us, because we love and approve of everything Thomas Jefferson ever did, we don't. But he was a founding father, and I went to his estate. Okay, God, he's going to stand before God. You just let God deal with that. Good grief, these people. So you go to Monticello, his estate, which is a beautiful piece of architecture. And in Monticello, which was his house, he has busts you know what a bust is look 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 you get john calvin bust out i know joel said even case. better even better even oh, hold better. on what's, what's better charles spurgeon. oh okay there you go the, my spurgeon. charls spurgeon bust which i got what's funny is i was just on that website that sells those the other day and i was thinking i want to pick up a couple of these things missionalware.com they're not even a sponsor missionalware if you watch this <laughs> we're looking for sponsorships hit us up um if you get a bust so so Thomas Jefferson had busts of George Washington, Ben Franklin, these guys. Now, you only get a bust. You get a bust for someone you greatly respect and admire. Thomas Jefferson had busts in his house of his friends. Think about that. Like, he was contemporary 
with George Washington. You know what I'm saying? Like they worked together. Yeah. They were like co-workers. Yeah. And he had busts of them in his house. That is just such a baller thing. I just think that's awesome. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get me a bust of Rafe Chenery. I'm going to put oh, it on boy. my shelf. How sweet would a bust of Rafe Chenery be? And people could come over, come in the office, and see a bronze or that's, or, or alabaster. That's hands down, hands down the creepiest thing you've said to me. <laughs> I mean, you said a lot of creepy things to me over the last few years since we've been friends. But that one tops the charts. It's the opposite of cancel culture. We're gonna. But we're gonna. The opposite of cancel culture is when you make a bust of somebody. Else <laughs> put it on the shelf. I tell people, I'm like, I'm like, man, I got so much respect for Rafe. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna put a bust of Rafe on my shelf. I'm telling you, Rafe, this is gonna be the new trend. We're gonna we're gonna sell personalized busts of our friends, people we respect and admire. Put them on the shelf. Mark it down. I'm I'm calling it now as the wave of the future. Actually, what's hysterical is that probably is a good business idea. I bet you no one's doing that. Joel, right. jump on it. Right. All right, we are wasting time now. I think this we might need to wrap up. All right. For more great content from Rafe Chenery, go to rafechenery.com. R-A-E-F-C-H-E-N. You can read it there on the screen. Um, or maybe you can't. R-A-E-F-C-H-E-N-E-R-Y.com to engage with the Think Institute. Simply go to thethink.institute. Go to our social media platforms to follow us on social media. And... I, sh- I sure hope that you found something helpful in our conversation today. This is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. And that is all we have for you today. So until next time, I hope it made you think. Mm-hmm.